what I want us to do tonight as we look at this passage briefly, I'm going to be short, so relax, it's okay. Um, as we look at this passage briefly, is to think through not what we think life is about, but what does God say life is about? What does the God who made us say we exist for? And this part of Ephesians chapter 1 that Paul writes to us is very, very helpful to understand why we are here. The first thing that we note uh, in Ephesians 1 is how amazing God is. We've got to start here with God. Listen to this passage as, as Paul kind of reads through it, the one that Deb just read for us. As Paul wrote that out, you kind of imagine him as someone who's just so excited, he just keeps writing and writing about the greatness of God. Have a look. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Or verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Verse 5, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. These are phenomenally huge concepts. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. He adopted us to be sons through Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption. That's a big jargony word Paul's using these words here. It just means to buy back. It's actually a marketplace term. Uh, to, to buy something back, you know, when you go to cash converters or, the, you know, the shop. We have cash converters here, right? Yeah, great, great, great. I thought I'd seen it, but I just had that moment. Um, you know when you go and you, and you take something because you need some money and so you take something from your mum's jewelry cupboard and you take it down and you kind of give it to them and then they give you some money and they say you've got a month to buy it back? That's called redeeming. He's saying, in Christ, we can be bought back. We can be brought back by the forgiveness of our sin, by what God has done through Jesus, accordance with the riches of God's grace, His gift. That's what grace means, just a gift, an undeserved gift that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Look at verse 9. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure. Verse 13 and 14. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the buying back the redemption of those who are God's possession. If you trust in Jesus, God lives in you. What an amazing God. The one who created us, who who makes our hearts beat and our lungs fill with air, is the one who has loved us. He's the God who loves to bless. He's a God who accomplishes his plan without fail. We've seen that throughout 2 Samuel. This is an amazing God. And Paul has him front row for us to see as we understand what life is about. There is something about this God. He's amazing. But secondly, we see one of the characteristics of this God that is so amazing is his forgiveness. The forgiveness of God. He's a God who who is so keen to forgive that he he kind of does it aggressively. Yeah, some people are just aggressive with being nasty, right? They say nasty things all the time, and usually they're Australians because they think with their heads. Anyway, sorry, Lachlan. Um, uh, (laughs) And everyone, anyway. Uh, But God is the opposite. He's kind of so forward with forgiveness. He wants to forgive. And his forgiveness, it's not a kind of half-hearted forgiveness. You know when you've got to forgive someone? Maybe your parents made you forgive someone. You're like, I forgive you. And you kind of said that statement. My kids do that often. And I'm like, guys, no, you've got to mean it. And they're like, Amy's so funny. She's like five. And she's like, oh, I forgive you. <laughs> she's like, oh. But she's picking something up. See, forgiveness hurts. It costs us something. To actually forgive is to say, I'm going to let the hurt that has come to me because of what you've done go, go through. Or I'm going I'm to bear the cost of whatever it is that you've broken or smashed or dinged up. I'm going to wear that myself and not make you pay for it. 
God is not reluctant. He comes wanting to forgive us. He lavishes His forgiveness on us. What an amazing God. Have you ever met anyone like that? Who is so eager to forgive? Eager to say, look, just, just, I just want to forgive you. Just come back. Just come back. He is an amazing, amazing God. And this forgiveness that He offers, it's no cheap forgiveness. It's something that cost Him immensely. It cost the blood of His Son. God the Son died in our place so that we, we could be forgiven. What that is saying is that forgiveness from God is only possible by the blood of the Son of God being spilt. And that fact does two things for me. Firstly, it amazes me. It amazes me that He would do it for us. That the one who created all things, who sustains all things, would come and die in our place. The one who's in control of everything, who healed the sick, who, who, who gave sight to the blind, who raised from the dead, who, who loved the unlovable, the one who was in, in complete power over all things, would come and die for someone like me and you. What an amazing love he has. Firstly, it amazes me that God would die for us. I don't think the Queen would die for me. I don't think the President of the countries or the Prime Minister of New Zealand would die for me. But someone far greater than those, those people has died for us. Firstly, it amazes me. But secondly, it convicts me. It kind of raises up inside me a kind of heavy kind of guilty feeling. I don't know if you've ever had that heavy, guilty feeling when, when you're in trouble for something and you know that you're in trouble. Um, I remember standing outside the principal's office at high school. I don't know, some of you might have been there. Some of you might not have been. I don't know. Um, no, I won't say that. Um, I was going to make a... No, just move on, Ron. <laughs> Come and ask me later what that was. Uh, if you've been standing outside the principal's office and you're like, I know I'm about to get in trouble... Uh, some friends and I had been at school, we were doing a Gallipoli reenactment, we had an air rifle at school, we were allowed to have it at school, but we weren't allowed to shoot it at the blackboard, which is what I did. And we were standing uh, in line outside thinking, what's going to happen? I knew the principal was going to say, why should I keep you at this school? Uh, we were standing there, and this deep, heavy guilt was upon me. What am I going to tell mum and dad? What's going to happen next? I am in a lot of trouble. I'm in a lot of trouble. We're in so much trouble with God that his son had to die in our place. The penalty that had to be paid for what we have done was so huge that God the Son would need to die for us. God's amazing forgiveness at the same time amazes us at how forgiving He is and also the depth of forgiveness that we need for turning our backs on Him. And when I think through the way I've treated Him and He still forgives me, what an amazing God He is. There's something else we see in this passage that is even more amazing again and kind of gives us a hint of what life is about. That this plan of Jesus wasn't some accident that came along later. That was actually part of the plan from the very beginning. Look at verse 4 of Ephesians 1. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Before you or I were even a sparkle in our parents' eyes. I'm sure we were. Uh, God knew us. God had planned for, for those who would come to Him to come to Him. Before we took our first breath, God loved you so much 
individually and specifically. You were in his mind, irrespective of any future wrongs or rights. God chose to love us and demonstrated that at the cross. And even more than that, chose to show us his forgiveness and draw us, for those who trust in him, to Jesus. And if you don't trust in Jesus tonight, and I want to say, maybe God has done this for you too. Maybe tonight is the night to say, man, I want in with this God. If he really is who the Bible says he is, if he has died in my place, and if Jesus has risen from the dead and is offering me forgiveness, then I want in. God chose to love us. He is amazing. But my question is this, why would he do it? Why would God go to such incredible lengths for someone like me and you? Like, Why does he need us? Does he even need us? Why does he go to such extremes? Why, why, why is he willing? Why is Jesus willing to die and take the penalty that we deserve? Why? Well, Paul tells us three times in the start of this letter. He says, we exist. God has done these things for the praise of his glory. For the praise of his glory. For the praise of his glory. That's a phrase that's worth writing down. We exist. God has acted for the praise of his glory. If there's one thing to get from tonight, it's this. Everything that exists, exists for the praise of God's glory. It's not about you. It's not about you or me. The purpose of the world, the reason that God made the world was for his glory. The psalmist said in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. When God created the universe, when he made everything that exists, when he made the Alps, when he made New Zealand, when he put all things together, he did it so that people would say, man, God, you're good. He doesn't say, whoa, the earth doesn't exist so we can go, oh, Rowan, you're good. Like, what did I do? The stuff I make falls apart. But the stuff that God made is, is amazing. Have you ever kind of walked out into the night sky and looked up and seen the stars and been like, wow. Here's a picture of the Milky Way. It's one I took earlier. No, I got it from, I don't know where that's taken from, but some crazy telescope. But like, that's crazy. That God just makes that is so the time that the light takes it from one end of the Milky Way to the other is just I can't even fathom that amount of time. Yet God did it because He because He can just say, "Look at what I am like." Have you ever stood at the stars and you just feel so small? Have you ever had that feeling when you look up and you see them? I know you've got to get out of Auckland sometimes, and there's not as much light. And when you do that and you look and you look up at the sky, there are so many stars, and I just feel so small. I feel like I feel like an ant. I'm kind of like the foot of an ant. Or well, I don't know if ants have toenails. The toenail of the foot of an ant, right? It, it feels so small. Why am I here? God says you're here so that you might recognize that I exist and you might glorify me. For the praise of his glory. That's why humanity exists. That's the purpose of humanity. Look at verse 11. In him, in Christ, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, and here's the reason, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Now, Paul, at this point in time, he's talking about the Jews. And he's saying the Jews, they were the first to get who Jesus was. Jesus was a Jew, and the news of who he was went out amongst the Jews and then to the the other nations around them. The Jews weren't any better than any of the other nations. In fact, God chose them from the beginning because they were so insignificant. They were in slavery. They weren't even a nation. 
And he chose them to say, look what I can do with schmucks like them. That's why you're a Christian if you're a Christian. You know that, right? And so God can say, look at what I can do with schmucks like you. So he can see that, that it's about him, that we haven't sorted this out. I don't have life sorted out. It's all about God's glory. Listen to what he said to the Jews a little bit earlier in Isaiah 48. He says this. I want to know how you feel when, when, when this gets read out. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to cut you off. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I, I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. God is incredibly focused on glorifying him. How does that make you feel? Non-rhetorical question. When you hear God say that, how do you feel? Be honest. Speechless? Narcissist? What does that mean for kind of... He's full of himself. Okay, cool. I get that one. Yeah. Wait, how else do you, are others going to feel that way? I don't know. There's part of me that goes, oh, how can he say that? How can God be so self-focused? Isn't that wrong? Doesn't he say to love others? Well, the problem is we forget who he is. We forget the, the ginormity of God and that he's made all things and that he is to be glorified for there is no one like him. For us to say to God, look, God, you should serve us for a little bit, is like a planet, like Earth, saying to the sun, son, I want you to revolve around me for a while. Look, I, just, look, I think it's unfair that I go around you all the time, just consistently going around the sun. I know it's called a solar system, but hey, just for, like, just for a couple of years, can you please go around me? No, it can't, because the sun is so huge, so, so ginormous. It's, it, it's kind of gravitational force is so big that... Nothing else can happen but to go around the sun because that's just physics. It's how it is. Awesome. <laughs> that means I'm going well. No. Um, when we recognize how great God is, you recognize he is to be glorified. When we recognize who he is and what he is doing, we see that it's not first about our salvation. The reason that God delays his wrath and doesn't pour it out on people is for the sake of his praise. First, it's about him before it's about us. We've got to see that. Paul then opens up in verse 13 to speak about the non-Jews as well, which I guess is the majority of us in this room. He says, And you also, verse 13, were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, just like Lily did. The gospel of your salvation, having believed you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Why does God the Spirit live in us? Why has he saved us? To the praise of his glory. We become so self-focused, don't we? It's about me. It's about me having a fulfilled life. It's about me doing this stuff. It's not about me. It's about Him. The God who made us and sustains us and loves us. He is an amazing God. And He has done so much for us. Jesus says in Matthew five sixteen, just to show you, this isn't just Paul's idea. He says this, Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify not yourself, but your Father who is in heaven. What Jesus is saying here in his own words is what the Spirit is saying through Paul's words as well. The goal of our life, what we exist to do, is to live in such a way that when people know me well enough, they say God is glorious. They're not going to say Rowan is glorious. 
but they recognize how great God is. But what is the glory of God? We've been using this term. It's kind of a hard term to kind of put our heads around. I think a helpful way to think about it is this. The glory of God is going public with God's infinite worth. Showing the world how worthy he is. Showing the the infinite value of God, his his worth to the world around us. And when that goes public in creation, the heavens declare the glory of God. Look how worthy he is for his creation. When we humans who are created in his image trust in his promises. When we live his way, when we point to his son, we make God look good. Not that we dress him up. But he looks good because the rest of the world goes, whoa, you did that through them? (laughs) That's amazing. You must be at work. But the problem is we're so often more captivated with ourselves than with God. We spend our time rejoicing in our brains or our brawn or our beauty. Can't think of another B word. (laughs) Problem is we don't give God what he's due. When we don't glorify God, we shortchange ourselves. We make the world about something that is far less worthy of of praise and glorifying. We make it about us. When we delight and rejoice in the things of this world, the things that God has given us, we're kind of shadow boxing. We're going around and going, oh, I love playing with the shadow of a house. Thanks for giving me a shadow of a house rather than the real thing. Or they're all shadows. They're things that are good that are given to us, but they're not they're not God. We need to learn from the moon. Have you ever looked up in the, in the night sky and seen a full moon, bright as bright can be? And you've kind of seen that. You're like, wow, how strong is this moon? But the moon doesn't have any light of its own. It just reflects the light of the sun. We need to learn from the moon to reflect the glory of God, to point to him and say, have you seen Jesus? How amazing he is. That's what we're to be like. We are on earth to reflect the glory of God with our life. Every decision we make, every choice we have, every day that goes past, every relationship we encounter, we have the opportunity to put a smile on the face of the creator of the universe and show how worthy of our life and worship and service he is. To point to him and what he's done for us. Your life and my life is the altar on which the God of the universe is glorified. That's what life's about. And so Paul goes on just after the bit that Deb read in verse 15 and says this. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. He doesn't give thanks to them. Oh, you are great. He gives thanks to God because it's all about them. So today, as we celebrate all that's been going on amongst us as a church, it's not to say, look at us. Look at, what, look at what has been happening here. Aren't we great? It's to say, look at him. Recognize how great our God is and what he is doing in each of the lives here and bringing people to know him, changing them from, from death to life. It's to look at what God has done in forgiving us and making it so that we could call him our father at a massive cost to ourselves, to, to him, to himself. It's looking at what God is doing in molding and shaping us into his likeness and saying, yes, Lord, I'll go through these hard times to be more like you because I want to praise you. I want you to be glorified. That's right that we celebrate. We should be celebrating because God, he deserves to be celebrated. He deserves to be glorified and held high and for the world to see 
publicly how great he is. Because life, yours and mine, is for the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, as we've looked at your word tonight and as we've seen this view, as we've heard the stories of the way you've been acting in our lives here and the the way you've acted throughout all of history, Lord, we are amazed. We're amazed that you choose to keep working in us and through us despite the way that we've acted. We're amazed at the great privilege we have to point to you that you would reflect your likeness off us so that people would see how amazing you are. Father, we pray today that you would show us where we are uh, living in a way to steal your glory and applying that to ourselves. We, we, we pray you'd peel back the skin of our pride and you'd show us how we might live to keep pointing to you so that the world around us would see it's not about us, it's not about our knowledge or what we have done. It's about the God who controls all things, who knows all things and has loved us immensely. Lord, we are so, so thankful for your son. For those of us that are here tonight, Lord, who don't yet know you, we pray that you'd keep bringing the picture of your son clearly into our vision. We pray you draw us to yourself so that we might trust you. And we pray, Lord, that as we sing now, as we encourage one another, as we remind one another of what a great God you are, that your name will be glorified and that we would exist and live for the praise of your glory. Amen.